Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and as we enter our third month without real live actual sports taking place, um, I figured with all the conversations I've had with present company, my friends John and Neil, who I'm having the pleasure of being joined by on today's podcast, um, we have our own Slack channel, and based off that, we decided to flesh out our final, final thoughts on the much-discussed ESPN documentary, The Last Dance, profiling the Chicago Bulls teams of the 1990s, the great Chicago Bulls teams of the 1990s, along with the highlight feature being the one and only Michael Jordan. So, fellas, as we've mentioned, there's been plenty of conversations and talking about this since there's nothing else to really talk about over the last few weeks. Um, and we have several things we wanted to hit today, but I'll start with Neil being the resident in-house Bulls fan since the days of uh, glory. Then over to John about your proverbial 10,000 foot takeaways from the documentary itself. Yeah, um, <clears throat> greatest sports documentary of all time for the greatest basketball player of all time. With no bias. So absolutely not. Uh, but I mean, the documentary reminded me, obviously, of like my uh, childhood watching the Bulls. It reminded probably everybody about it. Um, it was it was really well done. I proved a lot of things about Jordan that we kind of knew or guessed. Uh, some interesting nuggets were in there. I, I it was enjoyable. My wife liked it. Like it was same. It, it was amazing. It was just like a really well done ten part documentary. Yeah, I kind of had the same thought because it took me back because every time I, they, they would show like the, the Knicks highlights, I would just remember the times because every end of the school year was when NBA playoffs were. And that's when I'd go up to Pennsylvania and visit my grandparents and automatically I'd go to the den with my grandfather and we, basketball would be on. And usually it was the Bulls and the Knicks or the pa- Bulls and the Pacers. I distinctly remember it was always typically around the Eastern Conference Finals time. So I always remember those games. So like that nostalgia just yeah. really hit really hard on this one. Even like this, the rewatch, it still hit. It was like, oh my God, that was so great. Like John Paxson hitting, hitting the, 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 three. The, the three that sealed it. You're like, and Steve Kerr then doing the same thing uh, against uh, Utah. Like I was just like, I remember that. And then of course I go, I remember that because that was the white guy that made the shot. And they were like yeah, the only white, white guys, guys that were making shots. I think it was ep- it was episode three or four in that general vicinity. And I remember like to Neil's point, like my wife and as a side, um, like the commercials came on and like before the documentary was coming or like was about to air, uh, my wife goes up to me. She is like, um, when does the last dance air? And I was like, it's Sunday at night. She goes, okay, I want to watch it too. And I'm like, you know, the last dance has nothing to do with dancing, right? Like it's not a dancing documentary. This isn't so you think you can dance or dancing with the stars. Like this is, it's about 1990 Chicago Bulls. She's like, yes, you jackass. I understand that. And I want to watch it. And I was like, all right. And sure as shit, she watched a, watched all 10 episodes and uh, only fell asleep like 90% through like two of them and would end up rewatching it the next night. Like the portions she missed. So credit over credit is due. Um, nostalgia is the right word and that's the one thing that I think a bunch of us being on the fringe millennial or whatever comes before millennial Gen Y I think it is um, Gen X or Gen Y I can't remember uh, that general time that general age range like it was very much the fact of you know remembering all of this the where you were I was circling back on the point of telling my wife like when we were watching the shrug game I think it was game one of the 92 
finals against the, the port against the Trailblazers. And like I remember telling her, like I remember where I was during the shrug game when you know when Jordan was bombing threes early on. So yeah. Um, speaking of Jordan, I think from the biggest perspective, and Neil alluded to this a little bit. I think this cemented a lot of his legacy, whether that was intentional or not. There's always the story saying that like Jordan or the rumors, the allegations, however you want to phrase it, like Jordan, you know, aired this because he started to feel like his legacy was being threatened by LeBron, which I think is utter, complete horse caca. Um, but um, I think this did a lot for his legacy. Um, I, I, while I mentioned the LeBron comment, um, I have always viewed the Jordan versus LeBron argument as a convoluted stretch and an insult to the idea of professional excellence as a whole. I don't think this should be a conversation. It is an overbeaten conversation that doesn't exist. So at least from my side, I'm going to make sure that do my best to make sure this is the last time I bring it up because this is not an argument. Jordan is the goat. There's no, there is no distinction or there's no like overlap area. Like LeBron is number two. I think we've all said this in many conversations that's been recorded and off the record. And then, but very clearly and definitively, Jordan is one. And if you look at everything, both the documentary has reminded us of, and then you go back and look at all the accolades that are there. Um, it, it's absolutely staggering. So to finish out the point, I'm going to try not to mention LeBron again, because I just genuinely don't give a damn about him. And I think to Neil's point, this documentary really highlighted the difference between the two of them from a makeup perspective. But um I think, John, you said it best a couple of weeks ago when I was writing something freelance that if you want the TLDR, too long, didn't read version of what's different, Jordan is the only player in NBA history to win the league scoring title, defensive player of the year, in the MVP in the same year. Like, same. Doesn't that the definition of greatest of all time? Because it's not greatest offensive player. He was the greatest player, period. It, this, this is no conversation after on that. both sides. Call yeah. me when you do that. Don't tell me he's not an all-around player. I mean, the guy played both ends ferociously, and it was yeah. well-documented throughout. It's just everybody who didn't watch or who's used to, like, the current NBA only hears things like Jordan would have averaged 40-plus points a game in, in today's league, which is probably correct, yes. but he still would have stolen the ball a crap ton of times. He would have, like, locked down your best perimeter defender. He would have done all kinds of stuff that nobody gives him remembers much of until this documentary. Jordan's career average of 2.35 steals per game career, not single season. His career average of 2.35 steals per game is the fourth highest in NBA history. Let's just, just that stat, like just that stat for the whole, Oh, he's a one dimensional scoring uh, score. Sorry, John, I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, cause from the scoring angle though, one of the things that stuck out to me was just remembering how low scoring and how slow the pace was. Because most of these games you're watching the playoff games, and they're in the 70s or 80s, whereas now it's like if a playoff game's less than 100, it's kind of shocking. So the fact that he was still just filling it up and carrying his entire team to do so and consistently night in and night out, got the you got the most out of him. Like he just never – there was no point where you're like, oh, LeBron – or or. Jordan quit on his team again. The there was off. never an instance where they're like, oh, Jordan quit. Never. Not once. Did he Roy have some Williams. bad nights? Yes. Roy Williams with the best, one of the best quotes. He's like, he had a switch that could turn, that he could turn on and off and he never, never turned, turned it off. Right. Such a good quote. I, when I, when I heard that, I was like, holy crap. That's like, that, that's amazing. That one pumped me up instantly. I was like, damn right. <laughs> I know the game went into double overtime talking about the scoring totals and things like that. But I think one of the things that really hit me and I didn't know this, I knew of the event, but I didn't know kind of like the ramifications, like the outcome of it. 
um, Jordan's game two of the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs opener against the 86 Celtics. And just as a reminder for the people born 10 minutes ago, the 86 Celtics are one of the three greatest teams in NBA history. They were 50 and one at the end of, you know, at the end of the season in terms of their home record. Uh, I mean, that starting five was just absolutely insane. I went and watched a bit of it on YouTube today. And he dropped fucking 63 on them. And I know the game went double overtime. The final score is like 120 to 122 or 122 to 120 or something like that. But then the Larry Bird quote of like, that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God, like in Michael Jordan's. Disguise you know, is Michael Jordan. Disguise, whatever the official quote was. That one was like, damn. And like, you know, I mean, <laughs> Bird was always very, a very um That was after he in his 49 on them on game one. <laughs> game one, right? And he goes and drops fucking 63. And like that one was like, holy. I remember him to. doing that. Right. But then it's like, you go drop 63 on the 86 Celtics. And it's not like they were a shitty defensive team by any stretch. I mean, again, one of the three greatest, if not two greatest teams in NBA history. Like that one was just, that, that was one that really stuck out to me. I was like, Damn. Bill Walton was cursing out Danny Ainge because he right. was switching Jordan on him. And then he got – because Jordan was just drawing fouls on him like crazy. So he had to go to the bench. So he was getting pissed at him for it. Um, uh, Dennis that, Johnson's frustration, and he was known as probably one of the best perimeter defenders of that time. It, it's, it's just and, and he was just cooking everybody, right? Like it was, it was just watching the brilliance of his first few early years when he was just this athletic ball of unstoppableness and then how that evolved into the ruthless assassin that he became, especially over he got through the Detroit years, which we'll cover in much more depth very he shortly. Was ruthless at that time too. Like, do you remember the anecdote? He said he went golfing with Danny Ainge, like after game one. And he's like, Hey, tell Danny, I got some for him for game two. I mean, he just used whatever he could as motivation to kick your ass. <laughs> That I, I want to talk so much about the competitiveness and the the, the, the tweaks and the motivation because there's just so many little things that came out of there. Um, but yes, uh, I, when I was doing my research for like that freelance article that I referenced to the two of you, like when I was comparing to LeBron and Jordan, in a, one stat that came up that um, there's no play like the, going back to the 63 points when Jordan would drop 50 or 60 in an era where you averaged 87 to 93 points a game, you almost shrug your shoulders. Like, Oh, you know, Jordan average dropped 60 on them or something. It was so matter of fact in the way that he's doing it in a game where you only scored again, 93 ish points, give or take Um, no player outside of only Wilt Chamberlain had more 50 point games than Jordan and Jordan had 31 and Jordan's 30.2 points per game is still the highest 30.12 points per game is still the highest in NBA history. Right. And this is again in an era where he didn't score quite as many points. And um, you know, despite what people again, born 10 minutes ago will tell you, like it was loaded with stars and much grittier, tougher defense than what we're playing in today's yeah, world. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were less ticky tack fouls. There definitely were ticky tack fouls at times. Hand checking is one of the things that gets totally brushed aside. Nobody even remembers what, hand checking is but just imagine playing the game with like this yeah against you you the whole time and it's just like uh you know and you you just dominate so the the game has totally evolved to benefit scoring now right i mean the nba had to do something when jordan left to make it more appealing to people again and so they sped it up they made um you know they they just made it tailored towards offenses and that's why it's much much higher now and think about like Kyrie and Steph Curry, how how they're they're so great finishers around the hoop. Can you imagine them going against the Pistons or the Knicks and just getting getting out of them? Absolutely obliterated for just sniffing the hoop. I would love to see John Starks against one of those two, just just to see how he would like just 
rip them. I uh, I went back and watched the five part Celtics Lakers series that ESPN did um, as part of Thirty for Thirty, which is another brilliant basketball documentary. Watched it about a few weeks ago, uh, out of boredom. And one of the things that I remember it was um, I think it was it was I think it was Danny Ainge when he. Andrew McHale, it's one of the two of them, when they clothesline Kurt Rambis coming down. And I think it was the 87 finals, 87 or 84 finals, one of those two. And like just watching them, that's fucking WWF shit right there, right? Like the way they were hitting each other. And like, you imagine that this uh, today. They go long. straight to blows afterwards. Right? Like it's just crazy. They're landing them. They're landing closed fist blows. Yep. And yeah, to, to your point, Neil, it's about like these guys. I mean, they're already getting banged up through the course of a season. I mean, Curry for all his prodigious gifts you know, consistency of health, obviously, because his size is not one of them. And the fact that Jordan, um, I wanted to mention this when we were talking about the, about the Pistons, but I'll mention it now. Like, I love the fact that when, I think after the first dismissal by the Pistons, Jordan was like, all right, my athletic gifts are not, my athletic gifts alone are not enough. Like, I got to get in the gym. I got to lift weights. I got to be able to take the punishment that yep. Detroit's doling out because they're playing football with me instead of basketball. And like, just, you know, mentally devoting himself to that as opposed to being someone like many NBA players who are just going to be relying on their God-given physical gifts and not necessarily trying to, you know, take themselves to that next level. The modern game also, like the training has evolved. I mean, like there's so much now around how players um, take care of themselves and stuff. None of that was really around. day difference. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, Jordan's getting beat up this whole time. He played eight 82 game seasons with the Bulls. It's disgusting. 882 games, and the and two of the other seasons were 80 and 81. What was David Fisdale's quote? Stick that in your analytics pipe. Or yeah. How's that for analytics? <laughs> so the only season they really missed considerable time was what the 85 85 season, season when he missed yeah. the when, when he, he had broke the foot. His foot. Yeah. No, it was 86. He 80. dropped he dropped the 63 after playing 18 games that year. Mm-hmm. Right, and and was on a what was it like a seven minute per half restriction 14 minutes a game and the bet his best quote is like okay i'm gonna make this seven minutes the most important seven minutes and i'm just gonna go crazy and he just go ape shit on them will this team to the playoffs i mean granted the team had 30 wins and still made the playoffs which would tell you you know something about you know the uh, uh competition in that that time yeah the eastern conference wasn't uh, too great yeah. right there is the but to then hold your own against the Celtics after being such a shabby team because you can see what he had around him. It was I mean, awful. He, he had a sub-500 team around him. He had the cocaine circus. Right. He had, he had a lottery team that he dragged into the playoffs it was, and took the world champs to the that, limits. That team was 30-52, and 52, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah. made it to the playoffs, right? You made it as a 30-52 and 52 team against the 86 Celtics, and the series wasn't competitive, but the games, because of Jordan's – supernatural ability was work the games were competitive um to the competition angle there were just you could spend two hours on this podcast just literally talking about his competitiveness and just you know all the stories and the legends there but one thing not to a make fun of too much of my wife and b not to play the chauvinist card but my wife was kind of like why don't they mention jordan's wife why don't they mention his family life in this game like like in the whole documentary and i was like look jordan produced it well, one, that's that's an obvious one. But I was going to say, like, as hokey or cliche as this might sound, like, it was very obvious that his his life was just devoted to the game. Like, in fact, if you want to say his family life would have gotten in the way more than anything else, right? Like, um, I remember reading something about, like, Ric Flair and Kurt Angle. I know that's WWF, but they're like, 
one of the reasons among philandering and things like that where they can never hold down a steady home life was because the minute that they're at home, all they're thinking about is their work. Their entire life revolves mastery of their craft. And I think that's just what Jordan was. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence. Even as a father, like you don't have your kids in this documentary talking about their life with you until halfway through episode 10. Like, I think the focus of this, of this entire thing just shows that his singular mission, soul, whatever you want to call it in life, was just basketball. It was basketball and it was winning. It was winning basketball games. It was winning championships. And I think that was best highlighted at the end of episode seven, where like the director's like, you know, what is winning or whatever. And he's like cut, you know, after almost breaking down and losing it there. And like, yeah, because of that, that just, that was the one that kind of broke the internet when everyone was reacting to it. That and his laugh of Gary Payton. (laughs) (laughs) The glove. Yeah. And it just, I was thinking about that comment and I thought about it a lot, just walking, like the way he reacted and the competitiveness and all the things we've said about this. And there's just so many little things like at a, at a, at a basic level, right? Like, okay. You see how Jordan's ruthlessness and everything that we talked about is, and it's like, we've said this a thousand times. So like, can you, can you imagine any universe in the multiverse where like he's on a banana boat with Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing, or like he's like dapping up with like Clyde or anything like that. Like, could you ever imagine this? Like, it, this, it, this, it's not even conceivable, right? Yeah, not, isn't it? Not during the season, I could, I could see him playing golf with somebody. Playing could, golf, but that's, there's even an, an there's an agenda there, right? I want to take right. your money, and I want to tell you that your money's in my pocket. That was my favorite quote. I want, I want you to know that your money's in my pocket. But Just, I mean, his the the way that he drove folks in in practice, like. It's not that he would yell at folks to like do better. He would be doing all the things that he expected everybody else to do. And he would be putting it in like 110%. He wasn't a tin pot tyrant that like do as I say, not as I do in that capacity. Right. And they all knew that you either live up to his standards or you get the fuck out. Right. And I think that was the case. Right. Like I want to talk about the whole Scott Burrell thing because that was hilarious at so many levels, but like, you know, there's a reason why he was who he was and he would pick on Scott Burrell's of the world. Cause like, you're just too fucking nice. And I don't need nice. I need foxhole guys who at the heat of the battle or at the, at the, you know, at the top of the battle, I know that I can rely on to make sure that we get to where I believe we have to go. And I think that hey, was. Scott Burrell had a big game in the, uh, in the playoffs that year though. Yeah. A clock is a clock is right. A broken clock is right even twice a day. So. Well, I mean, it could be because Jordan was on his ass the whole season. So at some point something's going to hit. But to what John was saying, like about the whole, like, okay, could he be chummy? Like, okay, the whole 92 dream team. And I have a whole, exactly. I, could, I could do another hour on the whole 92 dream team. Right. But um, for anyone listening, I think two things that I found when I wa- watched one previously, they kind of listened to one at the end were like awesome kind of supplemental chapters into the whole last dance. I strongly recommend anyone listen to it or read it. Um, number one was the Zach Lowe, the low post podcast that he did with Jay Adonde. I don't know if either of you listened to that one, but it was in the middle of the, the last dance, but Jay Adonde worked for the Chicago sun. I want to say at that time, I could be wrong. It's either that or the tribune, um, but he was covering Jordan at, especially during 93 when he first retired and he had a lot of tremendous insight to the background and like, you know, what the bulls were and all of that stuff. So that's a must listen episode. Um, and then the NBA TV documentary on the 92 dream team, which was incredible. It's still one of my favorite must watch things that when it comes on, I'll, I'll lose now we're watching it there. That was kind of produced. That was produced by the Jack McCallum book um, that he wrote, which is not as good as the documentary. Uh, rare time of the documentary is better but anyway all that being said Jordan said that like he didn't want to play on the 92 dream team like he was very clear about that like he 
dragged his feet on that. And one of his biggest reasons was not the gold medal. It was not national pride. It wasn't about playing with, with Magic and Larry. It was literally about taking notes on the guys who were the next wave of the game. About Carl Malone, John Stockton. I know they were veterans, but David Robinson, maybe Christian Leitner, obviously that never been. And then he did that again with the Space Jam pickup games. Exactly. And then he did it again with the Space Jam pickups. It started the whole trend of all these guys coming to LA and playing together. And he started that just because he's like, I've been out of the game. I just got my butt kicked by Orlando. And I don't want this to happen again. I'm doing this movie and I'm going to be in shape and I need to know how to beat these punks. And it couldn't couldn't agree more. I'm, and I'm shocked that players actually came to play against him. I mean, maybe they were in awe, but you would think they'd be smart to like be like, dang, he's going to like learn all my moves and kick my ass. But that was one of the, there was, I think there was a story about the camp, one of the camps he had like in the, in between 95 and 96. And like, like I'm sure as Wizards fans or Bullets fans, however you want to phrase it, like John and I, like in that particular documentary, like you noticed Juwan Howard, right? Like he was. Yep. I saw him and I went, oh my God, what is he doing there? Exactly. Right. And you're like, you got these young guys. There were so many of them who at the time believed like, yeah, I think I can take on Jordan. Like, I think in many of those, they were like, Jordan's been two years, out, a year and 18, 20 months out of the game or whatever. Like, this is the measuring stick or was the measuring stick at the time. Let me see how I fare against that. Um, and, uh, and, and you saw what happened, especially in subsequent seasons after that. Well, Brian Russell said, said something to him. You, you left the game before I could take you on. And, yeah. and he looked over to Malone and Stockton and was like, you better, you better tell this kid. And what I, I did find it interesting, the, the interactions between the players, like, you know, after the one, like Carmelone, like going on the bus to congratulate them. I was like, wow, that I, that's, that's a pretty stand up dude. After a classy guy. He's two he's like, years yeah. getting your butt handed to you by these guys and then still doing it in, I mean, I thought that was pretty, pretty classy. And then I loved when Larry Bird said, you, you bitch. You bitch. Right, exactly. You. Right. you can go work on your golf game now. <laughs> I was like, that is hilarious. It's so cold, but like, it's so true. I mean, that's just, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's Jordan in a microcosm. Um, I even love like the icy dapping up before the game or after the game of like Reggie Miller, but there was no, like, you know, the two very clearly had, you know, animosity from the get go as that, you know, Reggie Miller story from the preseason game, you know, black Jesus. And um, there goes that man or the black cat or whatever he called him. Right. But it was black cat. Yeah. It was, um, I just kept thinking about that, right? And like, I know LeBron will forever get credit. I know I wasn't supposed to mention his name, but like, forever gets credit for the player empowerment era and all the stuff, and you know, and, and what he's done for the game and as it is today and the balance of power. But like, the fact that Jordan, a, I know he had Scottie Pippen, I know, and I'll talk about Jerry Krause a little later, but like, you know, he had a lot of things kind of went his way from player personnel perspective. But like, he fucking did it six times in a row, minus the sabbatical in Chicago with the same team, with the city that he, with the team that he was drafted by. And I, I, I'm sorry, but that is, that means something substantial. Right. Yeah. And he, I mean, they were very, a team of the decade because of the dude, right? I mean, like you, when you talk about the greatest teams in sports history, the, the bulls have to be like either one or two. I don't, I don't understand like any other, well, I, there's others, but you know, like, I'm hard pressed to find a team that's more worldwide recognizable than the 1990 Chicago Bulls. Uh, any, I don't think the early nineties, Dallas Cowboys, 
I mean, maybe from a Canadian standpoint, some of the early teams and like, you know, the hockey teams are in the NHL, like the Montreal Canadiens or something like that. But I can't think of any sport, any team, maybe now because the rest of the world watches stupid soccer that like, you know, the, the, some of the big Euro league teams, but no one was, I mean, Jordan was like the Beatles wrapped four Beatles wrapped into one in terms of his worldwide popularity and like the way he was treated everywhere. Right. And, and this is coming from someone I, I didn't root for the bulls growing up as a kid. I think some, you know, I, I rooted for whatever helpless Washington team was at the time, but iteration of the bullets at the time. But like, you know, as you kind of get older and you start to see this level of excellence, you'd have nothing to do but respect it beyond measure. Right. I'm so glad I was not a Knicks fan. Like, <laughs> I mean, I always, always wondered about that. My God, like this documentary, like recently I found myself pitying the Knicks, like, you know, as of late, but watching the documentary brought back all the feelings of how much I hate them. It's just like, they are like, Oh, and like, those rivalries just, I don't see them today, man. I don't see rivalries that make your blood like boil. Like, you know, when you see the other team, it's like, I want to, I just want to rip you. Like, it, I just don't see that anymore, man. You get well, it the teams don't bit. stay together long enough to, you, you yeah. get it for like a year and then it goes away. But like the Heat and Celtics with KG, I but that was KG and Paul Pierce versus that's mostly good. LeBron. Like that's the last, I think that's the last fumes we got of true hatred. Right. But like with like Paul Pierce a couple of days ago, like, like stating his top five and not putting yeah. LeBron on it, which I thought was just beautiful shade. Right. And I'm like, yeah. this is what it's supposed to be right. Like this. And then on the heels of LeBron, I just can't help but talk about this. Like LeBron's like, Oh, I would have made a great teammate to Jordan. I'm like, you missed the point of all of this. When you go and say something like that, like you missed everything. Like you, there's the train and there's you. And you missed everything. When you go and make a comment, like oh, I would have been a good teammate. No, he would have ate your heart out after ripping it out of your chest. And I just, ah, uh, that, that comment really irked me. And I'm like, just God, you couldn't have been any more dense. He's not in a, he can't win. Like when the media asks him anything, like nobody's going to let the guy win. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think George, I think LeBron's like, legacy would be monumentally multiplied if he said Jordan's the goat. I, 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 what does he have to lose by saying that? I think in fact, if anything else, he's going to have people who are going to probably promulgate him as the goat. But if he just simply says, Hey, what can you say? Jordan's the goat six championships. Can't not, can't do nothing about that. Yep. Right, Jordan. Like, Jordan what do you, never what do you lose? called himself. I mean, Jordan right. probably knows he is. He's never called himself the goat. And actually, when he's been asked, he's like, "That's just not even fair." Because I well, would play against them. He never said I want to be his teammate. I, he never said I would be a great teammate for them. He's like, I would have loved to play against them in those eras, but it's just you can't, you can't compare. It. And like, that's the difference right there. That that is like how you get to the mentality of being the goat, the guy who's just going to win, the guy who just. You pick who do you want on your basketball team if you want to win a game? Michael Jordan. Yeah. I'm um, sorry, whatever Space Jam 2 is going to tell you, but it's Michael Jordan. I would also like Scottie Pippen on my team as well. Yes. The guy was just a beast. Uh, he was filthy. Yeah. Did you guys see when we're talking about slights and we're talking about the trash talk, there was a clip that made the rounds, I think I forwarded to you guys about a couple of weeks ago, about Kevin Garnett and J.R. Ryder in their rookie year. And like Kevin Garnett was talking trash and then like Jordan dropped 17 on them. And this was like Wizards Jordan. I right. think it was, and no, it would be, it would be, um, it would be Bulls Jordan because Kevin Garnett's rookie year was '96. Um, but like, I always loved that, and that just kind of reminded me, like, when he was talking about the little slights during the course of the Last Dance, 
you know, like that one I watched. I've, I've watched that clip about 20 times because Garnett is very funny to begin with and the way he describes it, he tells the story and like, you know, J.R. Ryder's like, man, shut your ass up. You know, don't talk to Jordan like that, right? And Jordan's like, no, he don't, he don't mean it. He don't mean it, right? And, and Garnett's like, yes, I do. And like, and you know, and then he dropped 17 on them in the fourth quarter. Even before like he went to the Wizards, assistant coaches would be going over to players like, what the hell are you doing? You do not talk to that you, man. Just shut up, right? You know, but like, yeah. I love it. Like, Literally during the game, in that anecdote, J.R. Ryder is talking to Jordan. He's like, he don't know what he's doing, man. He's just a rookie. He's excited. Like, he doesn't know it. That's real mafia shit right there. <laughs> like, it's just incredible. And then going back to the documentary, but the, the Michael Bradford story. Yeah. Of the bullets, I mean, that was incredible. Like, that he was, just made that, it up. He made it up. <laughs> And dropping thirty six in the first half. After that, like in the in the first half, I know the second back, the back five to back. one, right? Yeah, it's just incredible. So that makes me wonder if the George Carl story was fabricated. Though. No, Carl admitted no. it. That's correct. That's that's true. okay. Because yeah. I kind of I would go okay. Well, Ahmad Rashad was there too. And Carl, but that one still seemed fishy. He, he Carl Carl actually said he did it to like kind of slight Jordan. I don't know what what he was thinking. I mean, Carl goes down as one of the best coaches ever, but. That's not a good move. You don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't anger the bear. Um, and then Nick Anderson saying something about the four five doesn't move like the two three or whatever. Like what you know the forty five doesn't seem to twenty three. It's like don't tug at Superman's cape. Don't do it. Right. Like you of all of these times, like you should ju- you shouldn't do this. Um, that game one was so hard to watch. I remember, I remember watching him come from behind him like oh my god he's gonna steal it he's gonna poke it away and that uh that game one would have just been amazing to have uh, my yeah, f- different man my favorite slight of his and i did i would this if i was going to if i was going to complain about things i have a few like nitpicks i, I had about the documentary in terms of like oh, i feel like they should have covered this a little more but like you only have so much time that you could put some of the stuff in but i felt like they should have covered a little more about um him kind of getting passed up in the, the 1984, 85, whatever draft it is. And like the fact that Portland passed on him, which they covered to obviously take, um, what's his name? The one like a guy oh, from Kentucky. Um, no, uh, Sam Bowie. Oh, Sam, yeah. yeah. Right. To take Sam Bowie. And, and because they had taken Clyde the year before. And that's why Jordan <laughs> hated Clyde so much because he felt like he should have been the pick. And the only reason he wasn't the pick, was because Clyde was the pick, and that's was the pick of the year before, which goes back to the famous story of Bob Knight telling Stu and Men, like, you know, he's like, we have a guard, and he's like, then play Jordan at center, but draft Jordan, and he didn't, right? And, um, and like, that's why he hated Clyde so much, and, like, obviously, you know, when he had that game, he was like, you know, he told Magic, like, I'm going to cook this guy in the 92 finals. And um, I mean, I, like, even even uh, the Eastern Conference finals against uh, Cleveland, or the Eastern the first round against Cleveland that they won, you know, he's, he goes to the reporters. He's like, proved you wrong. Right. You wrong. And now I'm going to prove you wrong. And it's just right. like things that this guy like uses as fuel are, is just, oh, it's just amazing. Like it's incredible. motivation to kick your butt. And he's never even met you in his life. He'll look at you and be like, I don't like the way your feet look. I'm going to kick your ass. Or is it your toes are pointed at me? Like too many of your toes are pointed at me. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cook you for that. There was somebody else and I'm missing it off the top of my head, but he's like, somebody was yapping at him. It wasn't Gary Payton, but it was somebody else. Um, but somebody else was yapping. He's like, and you, so he's like, you know, I have to, I have to murder this guy now. Like he didn't say that, but it's like, you know, I have to, I have to vanquish this guy basically. And he did. Right. Well, he and did that to BJ Armstrong. Uh, it was BJ Armstrong. Yes. It was BJ Armstrong. When, when Armstrong was on Charlotte. Yeah. And and BJ should have known better. Yes, right. Again, he of anyone should have known not to tug at Superman's cape. 
but that was just I mean, Horace Grant getting carried on people's shoulders. And even later, Horace Grant admits, is like, I didn't want to get up on their shoulders. They were telling me to get up on, the, on their shoulders, and they hoisted me. And it's like, yeah. He remembers if, that. He'll remember that. Again, at the risk of overstating, I feel like that particular moment, as much as anything, propelled the next three titles. Yeah. And I know that seems like, again, a little far-fetched, a little hyperbolic. But like the fact you've got Jordan watching Horace Grant, who was, you know, portrayed as the stitch basically for like, you know, the Jordan rules and all those books and stuff like that. And like him, like a losing his only playoff series ever, the 20, the one in the 25 and one. Right. And then of course it's Horace Grant being walk, walk you know, being well hoisted off and like Jordan coming back and like pathologically driven to go and, you know, and to be himself again, which led to the 96 season, 95, 96 season. Like, I feel like that more than anything else was just like the rocket fuel on the fire that, 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 that fueled the next three titles. 100%. Well, I thought it was funny that, that what if the MLB didn't go on strike? Yes. Yeah. So that's the, another historical what if. What? I mean, that one I kind of forgot because it's yep. like, I just remember him coming back and I thought he just came back because he just wasn't, he wasn't that good. I mean, he was fine. And I, I, I think they overhyped him a little bit where they're like, what was it Terry Francona? Yeah, Tito Francona. And, and Reinsdorf both said, oh, yeah, he would have made it to the pros. And I was like, well, I think he might have just on namesake and he was athletic enough. But the fact that the MLB had the strike and then it's like, I'm just going to go to Bulls practices now and screw it. I'm doing this. Like, how funny is it they had to upgrade him in their tier, whatever the tier is, like a double A or something? They gave him to double A instead of single A. But because the stadiums couldn't handle the crowd presence and the security detail that he needed. I mean, in the media. <laughs> yep. Yep. So he had to face pitching that he wasn't ready for. Yeah. And then they all just started throwing him breaking balls, and he could not hit him. There was a story that came out yesterday or today. I can't remember. It was on NBC Sports Bay Area, so obviously in the in, in Northern California. And as part of his like sticking his toe in the water about whether he should come back prior to in 1995, he actually went to a Golden State Warriors practice, and um, he like wore the Warriors uniform and everything like that in the practice. And he did so because he wanted to go against Hardaway and Latrell, Tim Hardaway and Latrell Sprewell. And to kind of get a gauge as far as where his game was and of course get his intel and his recon on those guys. But like that was another step along with, you know, kind of you know, dilly dallying and some bullshit practices. Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that was another thing. I didn't know about that, but I think I, I read that, like I said, I read that yesterday or today. Um, I don't know when it officially came out. But yeah, that was I like I said, we could spend an entire two hours, if not longer, just on everything that like you learned or you relearned or confirmed about Jordan as the competitor. But I think do you guys want to talk more about Jerry Krause or do you want to talk more about Isaiah and and and, and the whole Jerry Krause. Yeah, yeah, Krause is a very interesting figure in this documentary. Um he He couldn't defend himself. That's the sad part. Died in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. So he couldn't defend himself. But yeah, he comes off looking awful yes well jordan hated the guy and jordan produced it right so obviously and pippen hated him terrible but well pippen for obvious reasons although some of that you have to kind of fault pip for but yeah but yes for yeah. obvious reasons um so i mean the, good the the guy deserves so much credit for like what he pieced together i mean like tr- trading charles oakley away for bill cartwright i mean that's that's a move that's really going to piss off Jordan. 
Yep. Um, you know, and Jordan later admitted was the right move. That's right. Yeah, right. And then, you know, obviously... Pushing Doug Collins away. Yep. Obviously, Krause was a little bit, you know, uh, silly in some notions, like about Dan Marley. Another one of Jordan's slights is like, yes. I like this guy. I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> and murder him. But Tony Kukoc actually turned out to be amazing. Um, getting Dennis Rodman. You don't have those. That repeat doesn't happen without Rodman. No. Right? Everybody knows this. And, and that's, that's just... The guy knew how to build a team. But. My number two slight of what they should have covered a little more, 1987 draft, Olden Polonese for the number five pick to heal at Scottie Pippen. They glossed over it, but the historical ramifications of that trade I don't think could have been overstated, right? Yeah. Like you traded Olden Polonese, a career eight and eight guy, to move up three spots to get Scottie Pippen, who Krause was lar- one of the few people who really understood the guy's potential, but you landed him for, again, a guy who averaged an eight and eight going to Seattle and never averaged an eight and eight ever again in Seattle. And like the what if scenario that I think, obviously this is about, I mean, about Michael and, you know, he produced it, but like, I think that deserved a few more minutes talking about the ramifications of that and how that kind of, I mean, obviously Seattle was good after that in terms of, you know, Kemp and Peyton, but like just how another what if layer to the story, but good. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, that Kraus, you know, there's all these stories that came out, like how he wanted to form a team after Jordan left that had like McGrady and Grant Hiller. I think those are two of the names. There was the third one, but Tim Duncan was the other big free agent in that class. I could never, the guy never was able to put together a team after Jordan left, too. So there are things there that, you know, also point to like, hey, maybe, maybe he didn't know everything that he was doing. So it's, it's pretty tough. I think the way that he, that, Phil Jackson was kind of pushed out and how he he's grooming Tim Floyd. Of all Which people. is like, so random. Yeah. Right. And so people are going to, players are going to be like, what the heck is this guy thinking now? He's probably drunk on power. And don't, don't for an instance think that like the players behind the scenes are also talking a lot of smack about this guy, especially Pippen. Right. And they're like, uh, behind the scenes, they were they ripping him. I mean, they were ripping him. But among each other, it was sure. Even, yeah, even across teams, it's like you don't want to play for the Bulls. It's a shitty organization. Like nobody wants to play for the Bulls right now. You know why? The fucking management is terrible. So that's just the way. You know, that's just the way it is. I think every great, sto- like not I think it is the fact that every great story needs a villain. And I think in this case, Jerry Cross was very deliberately painted as such to be the guy that like he is the guy that broke up the you know he's the Yoko Ono of the Beatles. He's the guy that broke up the the. The, the the Bulls dynasty and the Bulls could have you know a lot of people have disputed this and a lot of people like this is physically impossible a lot of people are like well they could have won eight straight or nine straight or ten straight if it wasn't for Jerry Krause and like obviously that's so far fetched in many cases but you know that notwithstanding Jerry the- Reinsdorf should take a little bit more heat for that I mean because they really depicted it that Krause is the reason that this team was broken up and you cannot tell me that Reinsdorf didn't have wasn't signed off on it the entire time he's the He's the freaking owner. Yes. He can do whatever he wants, and he could have stopped that at any point in time. And for him not to do so is also idiotic. To be like, wait, Jordan's going to leave if I lose Phil? Uh, uh-uh. uh, uh, uh. No, we're gonna we're gonna keep this going. Jordan was the league MVP in the ninety seven ninety eight season. Was the league MVP and just retired. Who retires the same year that you're still the best player in the league? And should have been the MVP of the year Dang. before that too. And he should have been the MVP the year before that. And the right. year Barkley won it too. It was only because Jackie McMahon. the year that Barkley won it. Carl Malone should have won the MVP that year and everybody followed along with her in 
So the fact that Reinsdorf didn't take some heat for that, I thought was a, a little criminal. They did touch on it. Like they even were talking about blowing up the team going into 97, 98. And Kraut, yeah. Well, Reinsdorf, they had the trade for Pippen to Boston ready to go, which would have been idiotic. Um, the sequence, like going back to the credit part for Kraus, if you look at it, it's one of those things where like how much of it is just this serendipitous confluence of events versus like the brilliance of Jerry Cross, right? Because if you look at the pieces that were laid to the foundation, Neil talked about a bunch of them, but he was the guy who brought in Tex Winter. He was the guy who convinced Tex that we got to run the triangle. He was the guy, as you guys said, who pushed out Doug Collins because Doug Collins wouldn't run the triangle. Even because Doug- Jordan wanted the ball. Because Jordan won the ball and he was the one who brought in Phil, who, or excuse me, who I should say who elevated Phil to the, the head coaching job or, and decided to do that. He was a guy who was responsible for the picks of BJ Armstrong and Horace Grant. As I mentioned, I, I still think and when we talk about the lopsided trades in NBA history, the, the olden Polonius for Scotty Pippen doesn't get mentioned enough, but he was the one who orchestrated that. Neil talked about Oakley for, for Bill, Bill Cartwright. Um, Stacy King, who was a terrible draft pick by Kraus, but swapped him to Phoenix for Luke Longley. And Luke Longley being on the roster allowed Will Purdue to go San Antonio for Dennis Rodman, right? Like all those events kind of putting those together, leading to the six championships, you know, the three and three. Like it's a lot of things going the right direction. And he wasn't perfect. Like I said, Stacy King, among other dumb picks that he made, like Brad Sellers was one of them, right? But, um, and then, but like the stink bomb ribbon on top was the whole Paul Tim Floyd thing, which just never yeah, made was, sense. He, he, like, it's pretty interesting. Like they even said he had this small man complex, right? Yes. Like he just never. He had a Napoleon complex. He didn't get, he didn't get a lot of the credit that, you know, honestly probably should have, but you know, that's because Jordan is the icon. The players are the ones doing like the, the heavy lifting and stuff. And um, I don't know. I mean, Jordan was a global icon at the time. Everybody's going to focus on that guy. Everybody's going to focus on the players. They're not going to, I don't think, I don't know how many people really looked at the way GMs and, and uh, you know, things like that operate uh, until like kind of the internet, you know, came around and everybody was, uh, you know, information was more accessible. Social media was around, like all that stuff was never really looked at back then. At least, at least in my opinion, I don't know if you guys were, really looking at into that stuff like hardcore but i mean all you got was what they mentioned on sports center right yeah and sports center wasn't newspapers daily thing it was sports center was one hour that they repeated for six hours i'm trying the same to episode my expertise is more in the nfl and i'm trying to think of like there was any legendary gms that you just kind of thought about like bill walsh was a head coach but he was responsible for personnel i mean the 49ers at the time jimmy johnson was the one who built the 40 uh, the, the dallas cowboys like you know Casserly only cared, Redskins fans only cared about him. Like I'm trying to think about, like, was there anybody from a football perspective that you're like, I guess Ron Wolf is one of the early ones, but nobody knew. He wasn't a household name, like, or, you know, even among the, the rest of the league, kind of like how Jerry Krause was in the NBA. So, no, it's a great point. Bobby Bathard. But Bobby Bathard, again, it's just locally. Like, you have, in the 80s, you ask any NFL fan, like, who the hell is Bobby Bathard? They wouldn't know that. Yeah, it's... The whole quote that Krause had, players don't win championships, organizations win championships, and just that dichotomy there, right? And then and that the whole rant was way off balance. And then that's one thing, right? And you can have that entitlement complex. I mean, at some level you are responsible as many cases for putting the pieces together that turned into the or to the franchise that it did or to the, the win team that it did. 
But when you go and you're like, when you publicly say that, like, I don't care if Phil wins the title this year. This is his last year. Like, that's, that's just or goes eighty-two and zero. Or right, stupid. Yeah. Like it, that was just like that was spite. And then the whole, st- I mean, I know this is really stupid, but the whole, like, I'm inviting every single coach and every single member of the organization to my stepdaughter's yep. wedding, except Phil. Yeah. And the Phil's favorite. like, I'm happy. I don't want to go to a wedding. It's right. Funny. Yeah. Which any dude would say, like, right, you know, big ups to Phil, because like, that's, that's the right answer. But Reinstork went to Phil at the end of the season was like, dude, please come back. And he's like, nope. But the blood's already in the water then, right? Yeah. It was you too know? late. It was way too late. And to your point, I think there's a, like I was just thinking in my head while you were saying this, and I'm like, we bitched about Ernie Grunfeld for years, but eventually the vitriol went from Ernie to Ted Leonsis because it's like it's your fault he's still here, right? right. And I think to your point, like this very much says the same thing about Reinsdorf. Like, why did you allow this? How did you allow the greatest team yep. in on earth ever to that point to crumble because of your ego? I mean, they could have. They, they would have need to have replaced Rodman. Fine, Rodman, right? I mean, not to be take away from Rodman. I don't know if we're going to get to it, but like I th- one of my other small things, like they talk about Rodman's eccentricity and they glossed over Rodman's brilliance, but I, I don't, I want to make sure that Rodman's brilliance is not understated because that dude was a basketball, genius is a word we use a little too often, but he was ex- brilliant from a basketball standpoint. Completely, I, I believe he was bipolar. I, this is my personal opinion. I'm not a medical uh, professional, but I believe he's bipolar. He's got, you know, something in his head that's a little different than how most people are wired um, from in multiple ways. But like from a basketball standpoint, he was brilliant. And I think when funneled in the right direction, he was exceptional in that way. He just, because it was eccentric off the court and like, um, you know, he was, and he became the handful that he was, but like how instrumental he was both the nine, the night 89, 90 and early eighties um, or mid eighties Pistons. And then the, the, the second iteration of the Bulls, like that, that's just, you know, it's so important to them. And like, I love that little bit about when Scotty was out for the first half of the 97, 98 season and how much he stepped up and how much how he became Batman alongside Jordan, um, at least for the first half of that year, however long Scotty was out. Yeah. And the way he apologizes is knocking on your hotel door and yes. asking for a cigar. Right. Right. Like that's classic Rodman. I mean, he, like I said, I mean, the, the three P doesn't happen without him. And frankly, like it takes a great dude like Jordan. It takes, uh, supporting guy like Pippen and then it takes Phil Jackson to like be like all right we'll accept you for who you are just get your shit done on the court and that's all Rodman wanted that's all he was needed. it was it right after the Vegas vacation in the middle of the season where Rodman came in practice next morning and he was sprinting like he was leading the yeah. laps and he was yeah, they were, everybody yeah it took four yeah. laps to catch up to him yeah they were doing that and it's like like that dude's just cut differently in every single way shape and form and like just to do that like that's just absurd you know like that's how you know you're just a physical specimen to that end um espn again did another 30 for 30 on rodman and like that was so good that dealt that was tremendous it was it was tremendous like you that dealt very deeply into rodman's upbringing how they contributed to his personality disorders if that's what they actually are um later on in life and yeah, that, that's a, that's a must-watch. Another kind of appendix to the whole Bulls um, documentary. Like, if you, anyone gets a chance, like, definitely check that one on on on, on uh, ESPN if you have that on streaming. Was it Kevin Garnett that told the story that when he first got in the league and like I think he interacted with Rodman and Rodman was just running on a treadmill like at full sprint after a game? And I am he, not aware of this. It, I, I I want to say it was KG was talking about, but basically he would just after the games. He'd be full sprint because the guy was just a hundred miles an hour. 
that's how he was in everything. And I think that's why he fits so well with Jordan because they both were just all out. And Neil made a great point that it takes a smart level of professional understanding and personnel management to understand that, yeah, Rodman's going to go to Vegas. He's going to go do whatever, hook up with whoever, and going to do all of that and, you know, create a media stink bomb, but he's going to come in and he's going to be Rodman again. Right. And I think, you know, he might've been a pain in the ass, but he was, they understood how to funnel that energy or funnel that pain in the ass, if you will. And like, what a great teammate, right? Like Scotty Pippen comes back after an injury and the guy has 33 tattooed in his hair and, and like written in his hair. It's like, I mean, the yeah. guy like just, he's a great teammate too. He just wants, he wants to be accepted in the, in the organization and ev- like, he would not have lasted on the Spurs. He didn't last on the Spurs, right? He didn't. And he, why did he? Why did he not last on the Spurs? Because he bitched at David Robinson, uh, David Robinson, for getting his lunch eaten by Hakeem. But David Robinson did get his lunch eaten by Hakeem. Yep. So it's not like he said something, you know. T- to that point, like you know, the the reputation of Rodman is the piercings and the kicking the photographer and all that, or the videographer or whatever it was, and like all the transgressions he did. But yeah, like in the locker room as part of the, in the foxhole, like he was a guy that they wanted to battle with, you know, eccentricities aside. So very much so. Want to get to Isaiah because that's the other main villain in this story. And I, this, that's another one, man, the the whole, the whole thing between um, the Bulls and the Pistons. And so in the, in both in any story, as well as in the sports story, there's always that, like, what's that final step of overcoming the last hurdle to get to where you want to go. And everyone knows that, you know, the Bulls losing twice to the Pistons. Um, I think it was twice before twice. they finally, you know, they've finally beat the Lakers and the, the first NBA finals was like, um, that's the thing that they wanted to get, to get over that spurred the Jordan rules book by Sam Smith and all of that stuff. Um, as I mentioned, I think one of the thing, one of my big takeaways was just I love how Jordan was like, "Fuck it, I got to get bigger, I got to get stronger, I got to be able to understand how to take the punishment that this team is doing, and um, and and figure out a way to hit back, and not take his talents to South Beach and pair up with two of his best friends, so then he could win a title that way." And like, yeah. you know, everybody knew there was hatred. The fact that he still hates them, love like, it, amazing. Love like it. to me, it's just like. Right. Undying hatred. Feed me the spite. I inject it into my veins. I want all of that spite. Yeah. It, and actually, I like, you know, when you watch Isaiah Thomas play, though, like if you remove your biases, the guy is amazing. Tremendous. So freaking good. And like, but yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I mean, it's one of, it's a classic story, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, he who must not be named against the Celtics, right? Like right. it's, it just happens. But and there's yeah. the difference, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you, he finally beats the Celtics when he went to South Beach. And right, he, right, right, right. When, um, when his workout was actually just joining two other all-stars. So, yeah. Somebody brought it up on Twitter about a week or two ago, and they're like, what was the most singular, most dominant, like, performance you've ever seen in, like, in a one-game type of situation? And LeBron's game six of the 2012 uh, Eastern Conference Finals, where he just – trounced Boston in Boston like everything Boston. went in like he could have shot the ball with his eyes closed in the in the ball I blame Doc Rivers for that that was terrible that was unbelievable that particular game like that was just incredible that was when like the in my opinion the narrative started to turn for LeBron in my personal my personal perspective but yeah I think like that to me the dichotomy between there like when you've got your, your you've 
your tormentors are in front of you. These are the guys who are in your head, in your face, their fist is in your face, their fingers in your chest. Like, what are you going to do? One person left and one person dedicated his entire well-being to defeating his bullies. And he came really freaking close. And then this is the thing that bothered me about the documentary. I do hope we talk about Pippin a little bit um, because they called out like Pippin's migraine game. And, you know, Jordan like smirks and he laughs it off, you know, like the game seven. And like, obviously that still irks him a little bit, but like he was, they were really close to beating them that year too. And, you know, that, that's the thing that I think gets overlooked. Like everybody thinks the Pistons dominated them for two years, but it was really like. It was game six or game seven in the second, in, in the second time. Right. Yeah. And then they swept them out after yeah, that. Right. After, Which led so. to the famous, you know, cowardly walk off the court and and that segue, like, I know it's not cowardly. I know there's precedent for that and stuff like that. It just, it looks really bad from the historical context. So the other precedent, though, was he was referring to when Boston did it to him. Yep. But the thing was, is that Boston. Oh, no. With this Johnson did it as okay. a visiting team where right. they were afraid of fans coming on the court. Whereas when Detroit did it, they were the home team. So it's a totally different environment that, that you, 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 so Isaiah was throwing, he was throwing some bullshit there, in my I, opinion. Isaiah, again, bias aside, Isaiah just, he comes off very politician-ish in any he's time. covering his ass. Yeah. Not even the way, what he's saying, but just the way he says it. Like, when he sits down, I'm not even just talking about the suits or whatever, like the way he presents himself, but just the way he presents himself, not physically from the exterior, but the way he talks and, and things like that, it just, it seems very oily. To me it's very calculated it, he, he's it's very new like he knows exactly he, he's, but you could tell he gets so irked like i i saw him on on some show where they like started bringing up things he wasn't expecting and then he basically just left super fresh and he's like you want to know something look up the head-to-head record against pistons versus bulls with both those guys with pistons and you tell me who's got a better record he was getting so yeah. distraught and so angry about it like i love that these two guys just still kind of still hate each other it's just that one won't publicly admit that he really hates the other right i was surprised they didn't was it rookie jordan's rookie year where he was at the all-star game and 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 isaiah and magic tried to freeze him out from getting the ball oh his first rookie yeah his first all-star game he was uh frozen that sounds accurate and and i thought it was his rookie year Mm. and they didn't even touch it in this and I was kind of surprised because I was like, because I thought that was a, another big reason on why Jordan hated Isaiah and the Pistons because it started out right from the beginning. He he automatically felt uh, threatened. Yeah, or just antagonized. At, at and I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that the Pistons were old. I mean, they had just won the championship the year literally the year before. And Isaiah Thomas was still in his twenties. He's still like, he was 28 or 29. He only joined the league like two years before Jordan. That's a lazy right. argument by, by anyone who says that. Like that's. No, he that's, said it. That was Isaiah saying that. Was well, like, that was a lazy argument on his end in that case. Like you might've been old from a wear and tear perspective of two straight playoff runs, but like you were not old by the definition of old. And the team was still for the most part intact minus uh, Van Horn or what? Mahorn. 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 Yeah, well, they trade, but they traded for Adrian Dantley. Right? No, he was taken. No, no, no. I'm thinking of the expansion draft. I'm I'm thinking of Bobby Dandridge. Yep. 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 He was pulled away to either Charlotte or Orlando. I can't remember. It was Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you also remember another tidbit that Jordan mentioned about uh, coming back um, the, the third year? It's like, well, you know, Magic never did the three-peat. Yes. Isaiah never did the three-peat. I want to get the three-peat. Like it, and, and I mean, it goes back to the very first thing we talked about. It's like, that's what drove this guy. Like, he's just like, here are my contemporaries. I want to kick all of your butts. I just yes. want to. I always thought the conspiracy theory of him being suspended was like viable until this documentary. I'm like, no, you could clearly tell that his ass was worn yeah, he out. Was so the fall from grace was a big thing for him, right? Like the whole, like he was, especially at the, 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 after coming off the 92 gold medal and the dream team and like cementing himself as a true definition of a worldwide icon. And then all the stuff starts coming out about the gambling and like, you know, his, his dominance in practice or his aggressive alpha male behavior and stuff like that. And that fall and like the contextual spotlight of that time and the pressure that he faced at that time, like eventually wearing on him and him kind of, you know, succumbing to that on top of the mileage of two straight playoff runs or two deep playoff runs on one summer in Barcelona and all of those types of things. But yeah, that fall from grace is really interesting to see that he had that. And then there's and the his father. Thing. And then his father died, which was just murdered. is enormous. And I personally, I can't speak for the two of you, but I was aware at a very right. mil- million foot level, but the relationship between the two, I didn't know it was as deep and as strong. I didn't as either. I just took it as, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Exactly. It wasn't like a, oh, this is catastrophic to yes. your existence. Yeah. yeah. I had read a bunch of books about him, like when I was young and stuff. And like, so I knew that was that was pretty rough for him but like i mean i'm what am i at that age i don't even want to date myself but i'm pretty young i can't fathom what the guy is going through at that time but it's like yeah that's that was pretty you knew something was he was just done after that and i think the way he broke down sobbing after the the sonic series where like you know he's in the in the training room whatever hugging the trophy i think it was hugging the trophy and like he's basketball and he just it was a basketball right so then he just lost it and like you know kind of let it all out and like they kept playing that whole or they kept you know repeating the whole thing like he's doing this is the first time he's doing this without his father he's the first time he's doing this without his father and like you know juxtaposed with his relationship or like you know how they talked about the relationship between the two of them yeah like you start to um understand the gravity of it and i think that was that was that was a big thing and that's the side that he wanted you to see in this because he is the one who's producing this as well yes i know that's the interesting that's the interesting thing there is like well that's how all the documentaries are done now lance armstrong has a documentary on right now you don't think he's not producing that yeah i'm really i haven't watched any of that i mean maybe jordan was i i doubt it because michael jordan is a very intelligent human being in 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 multiple ways ways shapes and forms but one of the things that i really kind of got out of this was that and this is something that comes not to relate again back to wrestling but Jordan wasn't a hero. Jordan was an anti-hero in many cases, right? It's kind of like he's, I almost want to say a bad guy who's a good guy in the sense he's that like the like, macho man or something. He was, he's like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I hate to make that comparison, right? That he's not your classic good guy in the sense that like he's the clean cut baby face heel, not to, you know, again, borrow too right. from wrestling, but like he is the anti-hero. He's like, I don't care about being buddy, buddy. I don't care if my teammates love me. I frankly, at some level, don't care if fans love me, right? All I care about is this singular purpose. And that's my entire, the fabric of my being is defined by this one entire thing. Again, going back to the familiar, the family concept, like 
him portraying obviously he you know produced this but like that's almost the thing that's like i'm not saying he's a bad guy by any stretch but i would find it very difficult to call him a good guy in the classic bad guy good guy you know dichotomy he doesn't want to be called a good guy he just wants to be called a winner and that's the thing right he wasn't trying to make himself out like he he didn't need to have a commercial justifying his legacy saying i am not a role model and what should i do right like this was him saying like i don't care where you put me on the spectrum of like, am I this, am I a superhero or am I a supervillain in the sense that like my sole purpose was I wanted to win and that's all I gave, you know, ate, slipped and, and breathed the whole time. And I think that kind of, I was like, that's interesting that like your entire mission in life is just one thing and where the chips fall after that, that's up to you. And that was, that was something that I was like, it's not a retrospective of like, look how awesome I was in every way, shape and form, right? It's like, yeah, look how awesome I was from a basketball perspective. And like, you know, as the internet goes, fuck the kids when it comes to everything else, right? I mean, he even like said, it's like, I should not be a role model. Like, I, I'm not a role model. Like, and that was accentuated by the whole Republicans buy sneakers too. And like yeah. all of those like social issues things. He's like, I'm not your hero, right? Like, I don't. I'm not trying for kids to grow up to be me. I'm only trying for one thing and that's winning that championship. That's it. And I think that was, it was interesting for me and not in a bad way, just in an interesting way to me. Like, it's like we all present company included idolize him in so many different ways, but he wasn't trying to be that like his mission was that. And we're all idolizing that fact. That was just a big takeaway for me. And I, I, I enjoyed that fact. It's like, he wasn't trying to like this documentary wasn't meant to suck up to us from a personality standpoint or like to lay the cult of personality down. It's like all I gave a shit about every single day of my life was to win championships. And I'm like, I think there's something inherently, not inherently very respectable about that. Absolutely. The, the other thing that was, was pretty interesting was, um, you know, the whole be like Mike thing, you know, and they dedicate an episode or, or like a very large segment of it to be like, you don't want to be like Mike. I mean, he lives a very, his life was awful existence awful, awful. like during the during some of that time and like you know you, you don't you only see the good parts man like this guy was dealing with all kinds of stuff like behind the scenes and you just don't want to be like that you don't want to his, his only friends was his security detail yeah. that was awesome to see too i the curly, the curly haired guy who unfortunately passed away a little while ago was like one of the biggest stars yeah. of the show right i forgot yeah. the gentleman's name so forgive me for that but like I, that I, guy but then, like the guy who came back after cancer, and like, yeah. I'm yeah. like Jordan, yeah. Jordan, there with his family. Like, these are things you don't think, like. You know, he's portrayed as this ruthless teammate and everything, and then he goes like he's with the family all the time, like helping the dude out with cancer. And this is a security guard. Like, this is a guy that most other organizations would just like throw as be like, yeah, he's like security detail, like whatever. Like, he just befriended these guys. He like, you know, played gambling games with them. Like, he just found ways to connect with 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 the people he was around through gambling and like beating them. But you know, there was also right. that scene um, where he was in his, like he was cooped up in his like, albeit extensive hotel, hotel suite, but he's like, this is what I do. Like, you know, I just kind of coop myself up, smoke cigars, play some piano. And, and this is my existence, right? Cause you can't go out and be a normal human being. Yeah. I don't know how he played the way he played smoking that many goddamn yeah. cigars. That's another thing, right? Oh do you want to talk about from superhuman abilities? He that, smoked a cigar after games like it's nothing. And then it's just like, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass tomorrow. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and it's not like he's playing 24 minutes. No, no, no. He's playing 44 minutes. 82 games a season. Baby. 82 games a season. Both ways. 36 holes of golf on the off days. Uh, and, he's, and, he's, and the man doesn't sleep. No. 
every single thing, thing you've you've read about him, every single, irrespective of the last dance, every single thing you've talked about, him, like the guy's a fucking vampire. So when they said that he went to Atlantic City after the the game two or three against the Knicks, I can't remember which one it was, and he said, "Oh no, oh, we we left by midnight," and like all reports were like everybody saw him there at two thirty in the morning. I go, "Yeah, you were there till two thirty in the morning because you don't sleep. Yeah. We all know this." And the level of excellence after that never, you know, curtailed. And yes. Um, two things I want to get to. I want to get, want to, get to Scotty, but one other final thing, especially because it popped up with the news lately. Circling back to the Isaiah Thomas thing, the whole 92 Dream Team snub. Mm. I love Jordan. It should be very clear by now. Jordan absolutely froze Isaiah off the dream. Hell team. yeah. This is not a question, right? So there was a tape that was leaked today on social media that Jack McCallum had a recording of it where basically Jordan said, that, you know, like, you know, it was either the, the, the uh, ultimatum was there, like, no Isaiah. Fine. Let's just, it is what it is. Even if you took that piece of evidence away, again, going back to the Dream Team documentary on NBT, NBA TV, the exact quote, I'm trying to find it, was um, basically it was under. Jordan says, and I quote, that was one of the stipulations put to me prior to even me committing that Isaiah wasn't part of the team, right? Now he was trying to say somebody else made that stipulation, but I mean, what does this tell you? Like, it was very clear that he didn't want this. Rod Thorne came out and basically said that Jordan was the crown jewel of the dream team and Jordan was the one domino they needed everything else to fall. So of course they're going to cater to whatever his demands were. They showed him showing interviews where he's like, no Isaiah questions right? Yep. I've seen that. All of those things, right? And so Jordan was absolutely the one that froze him out. And even if that wasn't the case, as everyone else has said, like, it's well known that everyone else hated Isaiah as it was anyway. Magic, Larry, Scotty didn't want him there either. Robinson wouldn't want him. Like, you know, that, that's the thing is like, they're, they're focused way too much on the Jordan Isaiah thing because, you know, a people miss rivalries because there's not enough hatred today in sports, and I'm I'm dead serious about that. Like, there isn't. You're 100 right. I don't know. There's no rivalries. Really hate each other. Like maybe people hate KD. I'm sure a lot of people hate Kyrie. But that's just but social I, media shit. Like, whatever. There's right? no actual genuine player hatred anymore. Right. And so that and they got to focus on two big names. So, but nobody wanted to play with that dude. I mean, they knew, and, and that's that's the way the Pistons were like the bad boy Pistons, whatever they had their own reputation. But, you know, I don't know, man, like they would have totally messed the chemistry up. Like, you know, John Stockton and magic Johnson are still fantastic point guards. Yeah. You know? All right. How are you going to like, be like, all right. Yeah. These guys suck too. Like, no. And there's this counter argument that like Isaiah was so much better than like, and than Stockton and some shithead writer oh jason whitlock speaking of shithead writers was like there was a racial agenda there and stuff like that and it's like are we all forgetting john stockton is the nba career leader in assists like are we forgetting the fact that he was he was a first team all nba selection multiple times like don't let's not write off john stockton here for a second right that's the 25 year old who john stockton is yeah that's different the yes 25 year old what happened yesterday they couldn't tell you i mean that's just the world we live in right now but um yeah that was one of the things like that whole like you know i'm not blaming jordan for this but like it was the whole fact that it was a question that like oh jordan like did he really freeze isaiah off come on like the, 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 this that was so far-fetched the, the funny thing though is that even um what was it, rod thorne or somebody said even chuck daly didn't want him and like so i would I, love I, to know i, I dug was, so much preparing for this podcast and i couldn't find anything i dug and dug and dug and i couldn't find 
any story anywhere. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I couldn't find anything. Is the Nets coach by then? No, Chuck died, I think. uh, He he coached the Nets after the Pistons. Did he do it? Did he? I'm not not denying it. I just didn't know that that's the case. Yeah, and so that's where I kind of thought that – it's not so much the Jordan hatred of Isaiah going back to the other thing and all the players we talked about, right? Like um, the Jackie McCall, the Jackie McMullen book, excuse me, about um, about uh, Magic and Bird, which is another great read for people who like to still read. Um, but like there was the whole thing where like the one that really rubbed me the wrong way was when like you know Dennis Rodman came out and said Larry Bird would be another player, would be just another guy if he was black, and then Isaiah Thomas doubled down on it, and it's like okay, I get that you're sticking up for your teammate, but like, it's just a dick comment to make in general. And then him calling magic as uh, bisexual because of the, after, you know, on top of the HIV thing coming out. And it's like, and you suddenly think people are going to invite you to play on the greatest team in the world after you make public comments like this, like you, you, you can't be that stupid. So. Yeah. It's just easier to blame Michael because a, he can absorb it. His legacy can absorb the whole thing. And it's, you know, two gold medals, six championships versus Isaiah's zero gold medals, two rings. It's just one of those, like, yeah, whatever. See ya. Did you guys find it interesting that, that oh, so, like, Horace Grant was pretty pissed off about all this? Well, I, so that, I, I believe I, Horace Grant wasn't the snitch. Maybe I, that I was just me. Right. Oh, I think there were, there are multiple sources. So I, to single him out, I thought was wrong. But I thought overall, I thought Horace Grant was portrayed pretty well. I thought so, too. And I'm going so to that use was that. Why I was a little surprised that he was so upset about this. I'm going to use that as the segue to my last point that I want to cover with Scotty, yeah. right? And like, there's been some murmurs. I haven't read the clickbait or anything like that about Scotty being Livid. portrayed in the way he, or being angry in the way he was portrayed. I, I thought he came off great. I didn't. If I had to complain about anything, it's that we didn't fully give Scotty his due in terms of how great he was. Because let's be clear, Scotty was incredible and very worthy of being named one of the fifty greatest players of all time when when that list came out. But if I had to complain, but to see him viewed negatively, I don't. I, nothing, even putting bias aside, like someone like my wife who wasn't biased didn't come away being like, "Oh, well, Scotty was kind of a shithead," right? Like nothing no. would insinuate as such. The, the only thing he did was the one. Point eight seconds left in '94, where he didn't come on the on the court. And Tony oh, the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks and the migraine game. Those are the why two blemishes. Brought, why right. was one point? Why was that brought up when Jordan wasn't even there? And that's where I think people forget. Like it's a documentary about the Bulls. Right. Right. And so that's it was a pivotal moment. It's a, it's a pretty big moment to show Kukoc was actually a very important part of the team, and obviously, like you know, Pippen had his issues, but a Anybody who's ever watched it, even before this, they heard Jordan's Hall of, Hall of Fame speech. He's like, you got to mention Scottie Pippen anytime yes. you talk about me. So many times. So episode number one or two, he's just like, Scottie Pippen is the greatest teammate I've ever had. You cannot mention Jordan without Scottie Pippen. All right? And then even though they focused on the migraine game, if you look at the, uh, the last game when they were sweeping yes. Pippen, he's like, he's like, yeah, when I saw Pippen, when I saw Scotty just get up as if nothing happened, that's when I knew that they were done. That's when I knew that we just had them. Yeah. So he's praising this guy. He's like, I don't, I don't know, know whether it's contrived. I haven't dug into it and I frankly don't care to, and I, and I won't, but like where this entire thing is coming from the, like, Oh, Scotty was livid. Like I, I personally don't I didn't believe see that. that I there was anything the game, to be livid about. The game six against Utah where he had the back problems and the guy toughed it out like a champ. I thought that was another instance where they could have 
kind of thrown him under the bus, but they certainly didn't. No, he admits it. He was like, I was put out there as a decoy, but like they showed a lot of highlights of Pippin. He was still hitting shots. And on top of that, one of the other under, underrated storylines, like everyone loves, understandably so, the fact that like Jordan and, and Scotty like clamping down on Tony Kukoc in the first game against Yugoslavia in the 92, 92 Olympics. Right. One of the things that kind of goes, um, I guess, swept under the rug is that Kukoc said Pippin was an amazing teammate to me after that. Right. Like he was such a great teammate, like as a, like, and did so much for his career, his being Kukoc's career after that. Like, yeah, it started off Rocky, but that's their animosity towards Kraus, not their animosity towards Tony Kukoc per se. Right. Right. And like, I don't know. I, I just, I, 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 because it was a Jordan Pruis documentary, because you only had so many time, so much time to air what you wanted to air. Um, yes. They only, they probably glossed over Scotty and, and, in some cases where they could have really talked about just how incredible, especially from a defensive standpoint that he was, he is arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest wing defender of all time. And maybe that didn't get its due, but for him to come off in a negative light, I mean, Rodman, as much as they talked about his, his partying, I don't think Rodman came off in a negative light. Everyone's like, yeah, that's Rodman. Right. I'd, Maybe Horace Grant just from the snitching perspective, but like if anyone, it's just Zeke and Krause who really came off as the real dicks in this in this series. So, yeah, I mean the Pippin thing. Um, shit, what was it? Like, I mean when they talked about his family and stuff, dude. I honestly like I had never read up on his, you know, his family situation. Like, you know, two two bedridden uh, people to take care of, you know, and and I think like you know, he came off negative at the end because they focused so much on him berating Jerry Krause, you know, and, and yeah. because, like the, the whole, you know, I want to be traded. Like they did spend a lot of time focusing on how Pippen sat out. Like Jordan even said he was in the wrong. He was a little selfish or whatever. Um, and so maybe that's just Jordan speaking his mind. And I think people tend to focus on like, you know, the controversial things that'll get clicks nowadays versus, you know, what's happening, you know, all the positives and stuff, because that's just the way it works. But it's just the way it works. I mean, man, I don't, I was talking to my buddy Sanjay about this before. Um, and like, we, we're both like, yo, Scotty's amazing. Like he didn't come off bad at all. Like, no. it was, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. I mean, the only, I mean, he definitely had some low lights in, in the thing, but I thought overall, I thought he came out really would positive. Think too, if you're like the, a top five player in the league and you're the 122nd. Right. And, and so like, I, I think anybody can relate with him on that where he's like, no, I'm going to, because at that time he didn't have any room to, to negotiate. I, I, Reinsdorf really screwed him though. Cause even Reinsdorf told him, you don't want to sign this deal. You don't want to lock yourself up. But then to not be like, dude, I, we're going we're gonna to give you an extension. We're going to bump this up and we're going to make this right. That's the double-edged sword, right? Like Neil talked about the family obligations and like, you know, the, the disabled, you know, family members that he had and stuff like that. So he needed to make, he needed to take the check, right? And that's the kind of, I hate using these terms because the, the significant, the cultural significance they have, but like the slave owner, slave mentality where like I'm the plantation owner, I can, you know, sign you and give you some money just to sustain yourself and feel like you're rich and then kind of keep you there because that's what I can do. And like Scotty being, you know, poor and growing up and having needing that money to kind of take care of the people he did, they locked him up at the lure of the first money he could get, not knowing that that money is going to, or, you know, knowing that eight years down the road, that money is going to be a joke you know, the 122nd rank salary or whatever it was. But um, 
but yes, to John's point, like the fact that you didn't even revisit the idea and it took this much animosity. And even then he never really got his contract. No, extension. He, didn't. he got, he just got money from Portland the next year. Right. Yeah. It was a sign in trade, but yeah, I, I, from a, from an organizational perspective, how can you say you run a quality organization when you won't even take care of your freaking all-stars? Well, they when, ran when, when you win six championships in eight years. Right. I mean, they, they could have, they ran horse grant out of town. They could have very easily kept him around and and wouldn't have had any and any need to sign Rodman. For whatever you want to say, Pippen had miles in the odometer. People forget that in that Western Conference Finals, yeah. the first Western Conference Finals against yeah. the Lakers, the Port, you know, the Trailblazers had the Lakers on the ropes for the first six to eight minutes of Game Seven, and Pippen was on the court for those Trailblazers. That was um, Mike Dunleavy's tra- Trailblazers. So. Um, before Kobe and Shaq had the whole big uh, comeback thing. But this is not about them. Any final thoughts? Jordan is still the GOAT. Jordan is still the GOAT. I, I, I didn't have any questions going in, and I have even less questions if that's possible coming out. Um, also, I forgot, or maybe this briefly touched on it, but man, those Orlando Magic teams were so good back in the mid-90s. Oh, they were. You saw the 30 for 30 on them? That was yeah. one of it's one of my favorites. ESPN's done some brilliant documentaries, and that Thirty for Thirty is one of them. I just I will die on the hill that people don't understand how incredible Penny Hardaway and Shaq really, really were. That's fake though. Like so, at the end of that, they had Shaq and Penny talking as if they were buddies and stuff, and like oh, you know, so because contrived. they were producers, they were so contrived. That was like one of the first uh, documercials. Although Shaq has it. kind of quelled a lot of his younger beefs, like obviously the thing with Kobe, a little bit with Penny, like he has maybe because he's just older in the media now. But I think you know he's less. He's not so much about you know tell me how my ass. They're tastes. controlling the narrative. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're they're getting involved with these documentaries and they're controlling the narrative. So that's what they did in that one. It was it was definitely forced in that in the Orlando one, but just this, I, I think that was so like terrible. Yeah, but how incredible young Shaq was and how incredible Penny Hardaway was, and especially when you look at people like Orlando being um, so pissed off when they passed on Chris Webber for Penny Hardaway, and it's like yeah, I don't know if you should be pissed about that. And then when you look at how Jordan swept them after. Exactly. And then you add in that last little bit. It's like that team was incredible and then Jordan swept them. Right. <laughs> well, and Nick Anderson forgot how to shoot free. Although throws. no, but Shaq was in LA that year in, in their defense. Shaq wasn't in the in the seven in the seventy two and ten year, Shaq was in LA. I do remember that distinctly. No, Shaq was on that team. Was he? Am I missing? I'll have to go back and look that up. But yes. Shaq left after that. Shaq left after that. No, no, that's that's what made that special. There's no re- there's no way Orlando makes the Eastern Conference Finals without Shaq that year. Is that the Eastern Conference Finals? Am I? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, no. no, Shaq was there. Okay. Um, so maybe it was for, the season for the '96 Bulls season. Yeah. Yeah, '96, '97, the the '72 team, the '72 win, the the greatest team of all time. Yeah. Yes, and that and if we want to end there, I think that's the perfect thing that I still think. I would I would argue I was telling my wife this while we were watching and I'm like the 1995, 1996 Chicago Bulls are not only the greatest team in NBA history, but I would say one of the greatest additions of any team in any American professional sport ever. I can't really speak to hockey that well, but I mean, you're talking about the 27 Yankees, 72 Dolphins, you know, those types of teams that the Bulls are on that, on that Mount Rushmore. What I thought it was interesting that like Wilbon said that the 92 Bulls were better. Hmm. I do remember that comment. Now that we're and I thought, and I thought that was 
an interesting one because it's like, well, that was a different one because one, it was a younger Jordan and you had Horace Grant as opposed to Rodman. Yeah, you got a couple other packs in. Yeah. Also, and I got to wrap up on this, but also the 96, um, people forget how good that Seattle Supersonics team was too. And that entire team got fucked because of Jim McElveen. So former mm-hmm. Washington Bullets member, Jim McElveen. Because they gave him a big fat contract. Because they gave him a big fat contract and they gave the money to McElveen instead of Sean Kemp. And Sean Kemp got angry. Sean Kemp started pouting. Sean Kemp went to Cleveland and Sean Kemp got really fat. And that yeah. just, fat yeah. Sean Kemp, man. Yeah. But Sean Kemp was thunderous. And that was such a good series. I, that was another, I remember distinctly where I was when that series was going on. So, all right, guys, thank you so much uh, for your time this evening and for everyone who's made it this far. Thank you so much for listening. Um, subscribe to us on the local the usual channels. Uh, once again, thank you both for staying up this late and um, I will we'll be publishing this on Friday. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.